Hello and welcome to Pioneering People. I'm Morvan McIntyre and this is a podcast series where we will talk to some of the most innovative entrepreneurs, people who have paved their own way and become pioneers in their industry. Series one of Pioneering People will focus on Scottish entrepreneurs, although other series will go further afield. The interviews in this series were carried out before the COVID lockdown and the focus is more about entrepreneurship and what inspires it. Hopefully it will provide some light relief as we hear from some inspirational people this series. To kick things off, our first guest is Mel Young MBE, one of Scotland's best known social entrepreneurs. So I've never been particularly driven by wanting to have lots of money or lots of lots of lots of power. I think I have the same part of me that wants to be successful. and But I've always thought that, you know, that the level of unfairness in society is, particularly when it comes to homelessness, is outrageous and unnecessary. And I think you can exist quite happily in society by being entrepreneurial, but at the same time, it's the, the social outcomes that you're, you're looking at. So that's what drives me. His extensive work includes being the co-founder of both The Big Issue in Scotland and SendScot, the Social Entrepreneurs Network Scotland, and he is the former president and honorary president of the International Network of Street Papers. But perhaps he is best known for the hugely successful Homeless World Cup, where he is president and co-founder. Today I'll be talking to Mel about how he started out and how he became one of Scotland's most innovative social entrepreneurs, so stay tuned for that. So on the first ever episode, I'm proud to say that our guest is Mel Young. Welcome, Mel, to the studio. Hi, good to see you. So, Mel, you were an economics graduate from Heriot Watt University back in the mid-1970s. In those days, economics wasn't a popular subject choice as it is today. So why choose economics? Actually, the, the honest answer is I don't really know, actually. It's like a lot of um, people who are going to university at the time sometimes were picking subjects. I, I don't really know. It wasn't like I had a passion for economics, but it was a subject I thought was uh, was relevant. So I studied economics at, at, at Harriet Watt. And uh, at the time, actually, there was a lot of other things going on. So like a lot of students, I learned a lot about life at university uh, as well as about economics. And I think the critical thing for university is that your, your, your mind is open to learning. So what, 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 you know, my experience at university was that it opened my mind to learning and learning from anywhere. And after you graduated, what were your aspirations? Well, actually, I, I went into journalism pretty soon after, after it. So not the economics, because I I'd, was editor of the student newspaper um, at Harriet Watt, which which I really enjoyed, and 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 so I pursued a career in in that. And immediately after uh, university, I started um, my own magazine called City Links Magazine with some others, which was a type of a type of time out uh, kind of combination of listings and uh, social comment. And who were your role models at that time? Oh, that's a good question. I I think at the time it was there was it was quite a political era of time of change it was kind of post the the kind of 60s 70s kind of cultural revolution that, that had been going on that we were all part of which wasn't just about politics it was about fashion and it was about music and it was about change and um so it, it, it was part of that so there was all sorts of people i think who were kind of role models uh people who were involved in in change particularly in the in the music and and politic politics scene so a, a, a lot of people actually at the time and you mentioned there that you were editor of the student newspaper and you ended up working in journalism and what was that like back then and why did you want to go into that field 
I think because we, you know, enjoyed writing and we we wanted to to actually say something. So in the first case, the, the, the magazine was there was about, you know, at the time there was a, the, the punk was was starting. There was a lot of uh, comment and writing about punk, and it was all about a, a time of change. And we wanted to to write about that cultural change. And the, and the politic, political change at the time. But also we, we wanted to expose what we felt was inequalities and unfairness in, in the system. So I, I, get, I guess looking back, that was what was driving us at the time. But I guess that's many of the reasons why people go into journalism anyway, is they want to tell stories, which is what we wanted to do. And then they want to tell stories about things that are, are not right so that they can be put right. And you talk a lot about there about inequality and kind of wanting to get those stories across. And then in 1993, you co-founded The Big Issue in Scotland. What was the purpose of The Big Issue? It was fantastic, actually. It was a kind of life-changing moment, probably, for myself. So The Big Issue had started in in uh, London by John Burrard and, and, and Gordon Ruddock. And um, I'd, I'd seen that magazine in London. And um, at, at the time, I, I thought it was appalling that the number of people who were homeless in the streets of Scotland um, wanted to do something about it, talked with others about some of the issues around inequality in Scotland at the time. And we were generally kind of moaning about it, if you like. Um, and, you know, I was kind of saying we should maybe do something about it. So with, with, a, with a pal of mine at the time called Trisha Hughes, we approached the, the, the big issue in London. Um, and I, because of my journalist background, knew how to produce a magazine. And I thought, you know, that is something I could, I could actually do. Um, and they basically told us that... Um, they didn't think it would maybe work in Scotland anyway. They were absolutely up to their eyes with what was going on in London because the big issue was being very successful there. So if we wanted to, we could we could just start it ourselves. We could kind of do come to an arrangement, use the name, but but you know we had to raise our own money and and get it going, and it was our own responsibility. So we were setting it up as a, as, a, as a social enterprise, which we did, um, and it was a, it was a huge risk at the time. I mean, the big issue is well known now but at the time it wasn't and the concept of homeless people working um, selling a magazine was just kind of you know people thought we were crazy but actually the the magazine was hugely successful here in Scotland from the word go so it didn't it didn't actually follow the normal course of a business which is usually you know the businesses normally would set up sales targets and then come in underneath them we were doing the opposite we were way way above them um, and so I you know my view is that we were in the right place at the right time so you know I, I was inspired to do it by something that happened in in, in in London, but but driven really along with Tricia about the, the total inequality and outrageousness of the situation in Scotland at the time, and um, wanted to do something practical about it. So brought the skills, and we knew how to do a magazine, um, brought that those skills to bear, and, and the big issue in Scotland was born and was successful very quickly. So the big issue was a lot about helping homeless people work, and you were saying there that you were outraged by the number of homeless people in Scotland, and you really wanted to tackle that. And then you went on to developing the Homeless World Cup. So how did kind of the big issue, what was the transition from the big issue to the Homeless World Cup? How did that come about? What, what happened in Scotland was, you know, in 1993, the big issue uh, started and took off and was very, very successful. As I say, I mean, p- people can say that both myself and Tricia were wonderful social entrepreneurs, and it's probably true, but, it, 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 you know, we were in the right place at the right time. So I would maintain if we were to start the big issue in Scotland now, today it would be successful, but nothing like the, uh, as successful it was at the time. So one of the reasons was, you know, that, that people um, were looking for something different and we arrived 
showing something different. We weren't talking about homeless people as statistics. We were trying to do something about about it. We arrived with a colourful magazine that was youthful, that appeared to appeal to young people. I always remember one woman in the early days who kind of said um, she was always giving sandwiches and, and support to some of the guys who were selling the magazine because she was supporting Ur boys. So it was almost like she was supporting them as if they were in a kind of war zone or something like that. And so there was a kind of feeling abroad that this was something that people could could connect with and badge up to uh, about about doing something for change, which we are all in Scotland, who, who in Scots tend to, you know, we believe in community, we even believe in fair play, so on. So that, so that actually, in terms of what we were trying to do, trying to get to uh, through the magazine actually, actually worked. So then as a result of that, um, we, we set up another uh, number of initiatives in Scotland, but also um, across the world, other, other, mag- other people said, hey, we can do the magaz- same, same type of magazine. It was a very simple formula. So in Scotland here, we, um, we like between the big issues, we carved the world up. We in Scotland helped um, support and bring into being uh, street papers like the big issue in former Eastern European countries like Czech Republic, Hungary, Russia, and I did a bit of work in Russia. Then after that, we created something called the International Network of Street Papers, which was um, basically a trade association for street papers. And we were able to meet once a year somewhere. We didn't have much money, but get somewhere. And these were always inspiring meetings. And we were talking about exchanging ideas, supporting one another, etc. At one of these annual meetings um, in 2001, myself and a colleague, from Austria called Harold Schmidt were talking about how good the conference had been, how inspiring it was. We'd sit till three or four in the morning talking about how we could change the world, but there were no homeless people there. How could we involve homeless people in the same inspirational moment that we were having? And we were having a beer and we were mucking around and um, we said, look, hey, I said, look, there's some of our homeless vendors in Scotland kick a ball around and they could be a football team and he said we have the same in Austria so we shook hands over a beer and said okay well there could be this game then between Scotland and Austria and I said we'd win and he said they'd win and blah 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 and then we stayed in the bar and drank some more beer and 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 by the end of the evening we'd invented the homeless world cup where a team you know it didn't matter which country you have to be Scotland or Austria or everybody could come so uh, critically like in, in many kind of business ideas that was the idea the critical point is you know you can leave the idea in the bar or leave it behind but do you make it happen so we had an important meeting the next morning at breakfast. We met again and we said, hey, look, that was a fantastic conversation. Will we actually do it? Will we make it happen? So we were, yeah, we, we, we could see the power of it. Uh, we had the first Thomas World Cup then 18 months later in 2003. And once again, a bit like the starting of the big issue in Scotland, uh, you know, everybody said we were crazy, despite the fact we'd had success in the street papers. But we, we made it happen and it was in, in Graz in Austria in 2003 and it was, uh, was very successful and has grown since then. And that's so impressive as well that you kind of devised that idea in a bar uh, one evening. And now it supports a network of 73 local grassroots projects around the world, operating in 450 locations, reaching 100,000 homeless people. And it's estimated that the Homeless World Cup and its partners have helped over 1 million people around the world. That's amazing. Did you ever envisage this level of success for the project? Um, no, actually, it's, it's, for, for us, the Homeless World Cup is, is, is beyond any wildest dreams, actually. We, I, you know, we were pretty good dreamers, as you can tell from the kind of what, <laughs> the stories I'm telling you. But um, 
Um, so, so, so we were quite creative and, and we were ambitious and we were ambitious for this and we thought it would work, but never in our wildest dreams did we imagine it would be where it is now. I mean, we've been, we've had an annual event since 2003 all over the world at that event, you know, uh, presidents have come leading footballers. Um, we've, we've had massive media coverage, which has been 99.9% uh, .9 positive, movie stars, etc., coming along. The power of football, actually, as a common language, bringing people together. Now it's 1.2 million lives affected. That's the most important thing from our point of view, that lives have been changed as a result of it. And so if you'd said to me that that was going to happen as a result of that discussion, I'd have said you were crazy. So it's, uh, it's a very simple idea and it's a lot of work. People, you know, our team at the Homeless World Cup really work really hard all the time um, um, to make it happen. But but the, what drives us is the the impact and the change it makes. And you went on to write the book Home Game by yourself and Peter Barr, the trustee of the Homeless World Cup Foundation. What prompted you to write the book? I think for us, we wanted to tell the story very much because there's there's, there's so much behind it, and we wanted to tell it to get the, that story out there to say to almost encourage other people to do things as well. I mean, my my view is that um, there shouldn't be any homelessness in the world, but when you when you look at the statistics and the United Nations say there's a billion people homeless, it's it's mind numbing for people. So what 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 can you do about that scale? And it. And basically, you end up going, well, I can't do anything. But actually, my view, Mark, is people if people can do anything. You just do a small thing, actually. And if everybody does a small thing, you, that makes a, a huge difference. So all we came up with was kind of kicking a football around and look what's happened. And so in some ways, the books is, is meant to be an inspiring story. And um, the story behind how we get all these teams there, uh, uh, behind the players, and some of them are in very inspiring stories. And uh, in a sense, if this is our story, hey, join in, join the movement. Um, let's all do something together and, and let's change the world. So the Homeless World Cup is based around getting homeless people to play football, to play sport, and sport's been at the heart of a lot of your work. Uh, you're also the chairman of Sport Scotland, the national agency for sport in Scotland. What is it about sport that you think helps people and brings them together? For me, sport is a very, very important tool. It's, it's, a, it's a tool that brings people together. It's um, in, in the grassroots level, um, you know, in, in terms of communities and young people, gets people active, if you like, and brings people together as, as part of teams. So uh, the beauty of sport is that, that you can get involved in the game with your friends or, or, or colleagues and really everyone's equal. You don't, you don't have to be particularly good at it or, or you can be very good at it and you can mix in and... So Sport Scotland, uh, which is the National Agency for Sport in Scotland, it really is about a whole system for sport. So on the one hand, it's, it is about getting medals and getting as many people to win cups in Scotland to win the World Cup and so on. Uh, on the one hand, at the high performance level, and then on the other, right down to the other scale, end of the scale, where it's people who, you know, maybe are doing walking football or doing park runs, but just getting involved. It's critical, I think, that people get active. Uh, there's lots of evidence to suggest that, that we, uh, uh, as human beings, are, are becoming inactive across the whole Western world. And that is actually a potential um, disaster for, for health budgets in, in, in the long run. So it's important for 
the country as a whole, but also for individuals just to stay active. So, so Sports Scotland sits within the Active Scotland division, which is part of the the, the health portfolio, so public health. And it's kind of a no-brainer if you think about it. If if um, government initiatives really want to get people active, then sport's got a really important role to play. Sport can't do that all on its own, of course. It needs other uh, departments and other sectors of, of government and society to be working together. So health, obviously, transport, and, and so on, education. So I think it's you know we're in a, an exciting time. People understand it. The beauty of sport is younger people, in particular, just understand it immediately. You don't have to you don't have to kind of explain it in in any detail. It's a here's a ball, let's kick it around. Sport is actually pretty simple, and it's very easy for for people to get involved. And what about you yourself? Are you a keen sportsman? Yep, I'm. I'm. I, I. I love sport. I watch it all the time. I'm not particularly good at it, but but I, it doesn't matter. I'm. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm still a jogger. I go jogging every day and uh, really enjoy that. Actually, so I know. I, I'm one of these people. I, I know the health benefit of 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 jogging and and so on. But it's not why I do it. I do it because I really find it relaxing. I really enjoy it. Feel really good doing it. Then, then the fact I know it's good for my health. So, it's it's a win win. And I think an awful lot of people are like that. Actually, lots of people get involved in sport. And we, we you know, within sports Scotland, we we'll, we'll look. We'll, you know, we data drives so much these days. We'll have a look at who's involved, and you can see that young girls in particular, maybe there's a fall off, um, and they're not so involved. So we would then have initiatives to get young girls maybe more involved in sport because we know it's good for them so work out what those barriers are and why they're not getting involved so we'll have a look at that all the time and you know other challenges in rural scotland as opposed to urban scotland etc etc poorer areas as opposed to richer areas but um you know our, our mantra is we want everyone involved in sport because it's generally good for the individual and it's good for society as a whole your work certainly hasn't gone unnoticed you've been awarded an mbe and you've been awarded the jackie robinson humanitarian award did you ever imagine that you would be a social entrepreneur? I always kind of knew I'd be a social entrepreneur. I mean, getting the awards is, is great. I mean, my, my view on the awards is really that it's very nice to have and I'm very honoured to receive them, but actually they're, they're for everybody in our organisation, in particular the homeless people who, in, in, in part of what we're doing there, they're real heroes because they... They are living in some pretty horrendous situations and they, they have to get themselves together to to get on on teams and so on and so forth. So really, I always say, and I, and I mean it, it's not just a kind of club kind of comment. It, actually, I, I share these awards with everybody who's been involved with us because it's it's really is a kind of team effort. And OK, maybe I'm fronting it up and founding things and so on and so forth. But actually, it's it's everybody who should be part of it. But um, yeah, very proud in the Jackie Robinson Award in particular was real surprised me because the other people who received it are kind of mega sports stars. So uh, it was a real honour in the NBA and going, getting that in Buckingham Palace was, was really nice, it was great. But I've always been a social entrepreneur. I didn't I didn't actually know I was one. So the term now is 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 much better known. It's not so well known, but it's much better known than it was. But it wasn't until about the year 2000 and somebody said, hey, you're a social entrepreneur. And I went, I've been wondering what I was all my life. And it was kind of clear that that's what I was. So to me, social entrepreneur is that combination between business and charity, if you like. And um, it's social entrepreneurs are driven people in many ways, their DNA is very similar to entrepreneurs. So they're driven, they're determined, and sometimes not that easy to work with. They never give up, they take risks. They can be a pain in the backside. But the difference between the social entrepreneur and the, and, and the entrepreneur is the social entrepreneurs are driven not by money or power, it's about social outcome. So that's their bottom line. So 
in my case, how many homeless people are not homeless anymore, environmental, social, you know, what's happening in the environment, but using business acumen and business uh, entrepreneurial skill, if you like, uh, to make those changes. And you talked a lot there about the differences between an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur. And why do you think you chose then to go down that path? And what really was your drive to help homeless people? I, I mean, I think it's, it's a good question. That, and, and people ask me that a lot. I, I, I don't actually really know the answer. I can't really, or I can't really articulate it. And I'm, so I've never been particularly driven by wanting to have lots of money or lots of, lots of, lots of power. I think I have the same part of me that wants to be successful. and But I've always thought that, you know, that the level of unfairness in society is, particularly when it comes to homelessness, is outrageous and unnecessary. And I think you can exist quite happily in society by being entrepreneurial, but at the same time, it's the, the social outcomes that you're, you're looking at. So that's what drives me. And if you like, my profit um, is, you know, I, I meet, homeless people who are former homeless people who you know tell me that you know as a result of you know selling the big issue magazine or or um you know playing football or whatever it's changed their lives and now they they they're they have a house and they they have a job etc etc and that makes me feel really good and that's my profit if you like out of all of this and um but I, I, I just, you know, I think people understand what social entrepreneurs are now that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I'm part of the Ashoka Network and the Schwab Network, which are uh, global social entrepreneur networks. And I know other social entrepreneurs around the world. And we do have very similar DNA. It's, it's, it's interesting. There is a particular breed that we are. And um, so, you know, we, 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 with this kind of combination, but quite what motivates me at the end today to answer your question I'm not really answering it because I actually really don't know but I just I get really angry at, at, at what hap- has happened in our society because it's so unnecessary it's not like you know when you you have you know a health scare or something you know uh, um, smallpox or something that which has now been eradicated that you you know one can't do anything about but you 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 you're researching cures and so on to come up with, with, with to fight whatever that health health issue is but with homelessness there's actually no need to have it at all in my opinion and yet and yet yet we have it and that infuriates me and uh so you know you need people i think in who want who can provide leadership to do something about it you know i think i'm probably one of the people who now would say that or people say to me, put it another way, that, that maybe I should have been a politician. But but I think what I think a lot of us in the social entrepreneurs are saying, actually, we can be more effective being social entrepreneurs and doing things globally than we can be at being politicians. So in, in a kind of theoretical sense, maybe what this is the beginning of is the emergence of a kind of new politics that's emerging as a different... As, a, as a, a, a different way of doing things to, to create uh, the change. So maybe in the past, if I'd been, you know, around in the 30s or 40s or 50s or something, I, I might have been a politician. I, I, I don't know. But it's this, what I'm trying to articulate is it's the same motivation. It's about how you create change in society and, from my point of view, make it fairer for everybody. You touched on this, but you were the chairman and the co-founder of Scotland's Social Entrepreneur Network, you did 
touch on this a little bit, but what do you think the role of a social entrepreneur should be in the next decade? Again, it's a good question. I, I think social entrepreneurs have a very uh, important role to play, actually, um, because they can use their that entrepreneur part of their DNA, if you like, um, to start things and get things going and take them to scale. And in the process of doing that, um, send a real message to the powers that be who uh, in the world, or they can they can attract mainly young people around movements, create movements very quickly. So I think social entrepreneurs, because of the practical application that they can apply to issues, environmental or social issues, actually have an important role to play and will have an increasing role to play. And the more that's written about them and the more that they are become visible globally, I think that the more the social entrepreneurs will get together and start to articulate more about how you, how you can build these movements. So I, I, I'm very lucky in that I've been um, involved in the, the birth of the growth of this, this area, if you like, and been involved in some fantastic discussions and conversations globally as a result of being involved in these networks. St. Scott, which is the one that, that, that you're referring to in Scotland, is a, is a great network. It's basically a network. So if anybody wants to be a social entrepreneur, go to St. Scott uh, website and, and, and that organization and find out what support there is and also who to connect with in the network because there's some really good people in there. So it's, it's a very, very interesting area to be in just now. I think a lot of people in the world are faced with the challenge at the moment about how the base the, the the economic system is based on growth and the world's finite so you can't keep growing so what's the economic uh, model then if you can't keep growing how how are we going to to, to exist so so people would say for example right um stop ba- stop buying so many clothes because actually it's bad for the environment in all sorts of different ways but if you stop doing that, you, you might make half the retail uh, sector and a, and a certain part of the manufacturing sector in the world go out of business and people lose jobs. And so that's the ethical questions that we have to deal with. How do we deal with the fact that actually we've got enough materially, we don't need more of it, we should be doing less, which is better for the world, better for the environment, but how do we actually live together and earn a living if that's going to be our strategy? Now, that's the sort of question that social entrepreneurs will start to answer. They'll work out ways in which you can answer that question. And that's an imperative, I believe, for the world going forward. What other social entrepreneurs do you admire? Oh, a, a lot. I know a lot of them. Um, the biggest one that, uh, the one that's got the best reputation, I guess, is Mohammed Yunus, who, who, who founded Grameen Bank in, in Bangladesh. And I mean, what he's done, it's not, it's not only he created that bank, which is a, for for people living in poverty and hugely successful uh, enterprise but it's not just that he created the whole concept of of microfinance which has then been copied all over the world uh, particularly um, Asia South America Africa and so on so that's very important so he's fantastic and I, I'm lucky enough to, to meet him on a number of occasions and talk with him and and he's just such a, a great guy he's great humility um, just a really nice guy with no ego but a phenomenal insights. Uh, another one that's actually came from, from Bangladesh, also a guy called Fazal Abed, who unfortunately recently just died there at, at Christmas, New Year time. He's got a fantastic social enterprise called Brack, which employs 30, over 30,000 people last time, maybe more than that. But there's the social entrepreneurs um, uh, uh, all over the world now doing, doing work. And, and I, as I say, I think it's 
my, my view is that it's 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 important that the social entrepreneurs uh, connect together more and talk about what it is that the, the the values that they have. There needs to be space for that because social entrepreneurs generally are driven and just work all the time, so they're really really focused on what they're doing and don't have time to look up a bit and go, what else is going on? What are the other social entrepreneurs? So there's some absolutely inspiring, brilliant people around. And if, um, if, if people were looking, I would say you go, go, go to the Ashoka website or the Schwab Foundation website and you'll, you'll come across some great individual stories and great people. And just going back to your previous point, you talked about business models now and how growth is becoming no longer an option all the time because of the environment. Do you think then social business models, they were kind of ahead almost of the curve. Now we're starting to see businesses, not just social enterprises, but general businesses saying, oh, we want to look at sustainability. We want to look at how to be more environmentally friendly. Do you think that in a way, social enterprises are ahead of that and they were doing that before yeah i do i mean i think there's all sorts of different definitions and, and models of social enterprise and that's and, and sometimes that's confusing to be quite honest but that's just part of um, you know something that's starting and it will settle down once definitions get clear people want to do things in a slightly different way but for sure this whole social enterprise social business movement and indeed, the investments now that are potentially behind this is is ahead of the curve because it's basically saying, yeah, we you can do one can do business, but one does not have to make huge amounts of of, of money out of it, obscene amounts of money, and one does not have to um, destroy the environment in the process of building a business. So you can have a successful business like Brack, the one I'm referring to earlier with Fazal Abed, which employs a lot of people, but actually has has really really good positive values and outcomes running through the organization. Now, I think what's happening is that, you know, within the bigger corporate world, you then had um, people realizing that uh, and saying, actually, you know what, this is where we should go. If nothing else, you know, ethically, we should be doing that. But uh, there was a certain amount of greenwashing going on. So it was like, yeah, we're a, good, we're a cool company. It's simply saying that on the basis so they could get more sales or attract more talent into the into the organization um, but quickly that that gets found out and pe- people aren't stupid so it's really about okay what 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 is the what is the business all about and i i think that the the smart businesses and i, I i've been lucky again to be able to, to speak and meet with some of the uh chief executives and leaders of the biggest corporations in the world and they will all say uh, they used to say privately and then I say it publicly, that actually the environmental policies and social policies of these corporations are absolutely vital. And they get it, they, you know, and they will tell you it's much better to do business, business in a good world rather than to do business in a bad world. So h- how, how can a, a, a company and a corporation create that? And I think that there's, there's some good things going on. Unilever is an example of a, of a corporation, I think, that understands it. And it's kind of saying, no, we, 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 there's certain things that we have to do and policies that we have to have in our company. So you're getting this balance between, you know, being a good business, understanding that the challenge about growth for growth's sake and how do you create something that's sustainable is the challenge going forward. So some very interesting discussions going on. I, I mean, there's still a lot of badness going on because what you're getting now is is huge inequality in the world. So you, you're getting huge amounts of wealth on the one hand and then big gaps to, to people living in who are homeless or, or having to exist on food banks or having to do three or four jobs 
uh, in, in a week just to, just to survive. And actually, for, that, that, for any economy, that isn't sustainable. Actually, even base capitalism says you have to have money circulating. So if the wealth's going to the wealth and it's not doing anything other than earning interest or, 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 or not being invested, then actually that doesn't work. So there's plenty of challenges out there, but I do think there's a shift and an understanding going on in the business world about what sustainability really means, because that world is, word is kind of misused. What does sustainability really mean? What are the values of the company? And I think crucially as part of that, customers and particularly young customers, young people are understanding this and are making decisions about which brand they may or may not buy or may not use the services on the basis of what their social and environmental policies are. And that's very, very encouraging. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the future because I'm optimistic about young people. You talked earlier about how you didn't really have much time to kind of look up maybe in general social entrepreneurs they you know you don't have time for kind of thinking other than in the now but if you had to say what would your plans be for the future yeah so so I'm basically getting slightly older I guess and I'm going to be doing a certain amount of writing I started up a, a, a thing called newism which is getting into this area about how we might be organizing our lives in in the future that newism series is all going to be based around these social entrepreneurs who are doing things and and having a look up about what might be the new philosophy or the new economic system that that we might actually devise together that actually makes sense to to, to all of us living in the planet given the challenges uh, with climate change and the environment and our finite world. So I'm doing some podcasts around that, some blogging. Uh, I'm going to write some books. So exciting time. So I'm, I'm moving away now from the kind of management, uh, daily management of, of organizations uh, into the more, I guess, chairman role and, and spending some time being able to look up and, and, and bring people together and, and, and hopefully through the publishing and the podcast and so on amplify what we're talking about and, and, and see if we can come to any conclusions. Well, you've mentioned a lot about uh, resources declining in our finite world and the environment, and that's something that a lot of young people and older people are concerned about. So you might have touched on this, but what do you see as the big social challenges for Scotland in the 2020s? Scotland is, is no different from any, any other country, to be quite in terms of some of the challenges that are there. I mean, in terms of of the West, I mean, is critically, it is about the environment and it's about how we live together uh, as a society and what does that mean? And that there are issues of like, you know, the aging population, there's issues about, um, you know, uh, the environment. I think though Scotland um, is in actually quite a good position actually because it I think it's got understanding of the of this but the Scottish people generally have always had values like like community and, and fairness and so on in their in their upbringing really it's been part of what we, what we are um, the other thing I think that, 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 that Scotland's got is that we are actually a small country in terms of population with our own government at the moment therefore we can actually do things and and some of the uh, environmental objectives that the government have uh, uh, Scottish government have put out I think are, are, are great they're ambitious but achievable and I think so I think there's an understanding of it so in Scotland you know I'm, I'm optimistic the, the, the challenge though is that you, you can't get away now in the world that we're, that we're global that we're all connected so we might in Scotland lead the way in terms of Envi the environment, but you know our our air can be polluted because 
another part of the world is 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 spewing whatever into the atmosphere that comes our way. And so we, we have to be working together um, globally, but there's no reason why Scotland can't provide a lead on some of this. And indeed, there's quite a lot of good discussion going on in Scotland about what the world might look like and, and not only what it might look like, again, with the social entrepreneurs, how you might actually get there. Because in some senses, it's easier, you know, it's, it's easier to talk about a world without homelessness. It's much more difficult to, to, to make it actually happen. And um, it's the same with it's the same with the environment. So, but the big biggest challenges going forward, I think, are about inequality and the environment. And it, uh, there's no reason why we can't sort that. To be quite honest. Well, thank you very much, Mel. It's been a pleasure listening to you. It's great to hear some refreshing optimism about the world, and it's great also to hear about all the amazing things that you've done so far and I definitely think that our listeners will be inspired after listening to what you've achieved today so thank you very much okay no thank you very much as well pleasure talking to you next week our guest is entrepreneur Julie Grieve of Crichton but actually if someone meets me I want them to say well if Julie can do it I can do it because I'm not some big Harvard graduate you know who started Google I'm just a woman who's Scottish who had an idea and started a business and I've got it to a certain stage and if I can do it really genuinely anyone can. You can download Pioneering People wherever you listen to your podcasts but for exclusive interactive immersive content download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Pioneering People and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media. On Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.